So there is a, uh, there's a church, probably not too far from here, that um, they had a, a new pastor that they had called, and, and it was his, his first Sunday. And uh, so he stood before them and, and really preached a, a, what everybody considered to be a really, really fine, fine sermon. And uh, so everybody was real encouraged by this new selection of a pastor and thinking, all right, maybe we, maybe we got the right guy. And so the next Sunday comes around and he speaks and, and he delivers the exact same sermon that he did the previous Sunday. And, well, that's a little odd, but it is really good. And okay, we'll, we'll see what happens, but strange. Third Sunday, same exact sermon, word for word, nothing different. And at this point, you know, the, uh, the chairman of the deacon body, he's thinking, well, somebody's got to say something about this. So I'm going to say, so he walks up to the pastor afterwards and says, you know, <clears throat> your, your preaching's really, really good. And that's an excellent message that, that you've delivered the last three Sundays in a row. But I'm just, you know, it, it's the same thing over and over. And uh, the, the new pastor said, well, well, right. And when everybody starts doing this one, we'll move on to the next one. <laughs> So I say that to say this, uh, <laughs> some of what I'm going to say today, you've, you've heard me say up here before as I've had opportunity to, uh, to stand in front of you and, and Scott's given me the opportunity, but it was last June, I think. So I'm just going to assume that everybody's memory is as lousy as mine. So some of this is stuff that I've said before, but in a different context, maybe. So, um, but I want to take up the topic this morning um, of growth. And we've got all kinds of little kids, new babies running around. We see a lot of growth uh, week to week, you know, uh, around here. One week, you know, kids are doing, you know, kind of wobbly. And the next week, they're running and dancing. And uh, we get to see a lot of that. But as we think about growth, um, you know, think about, in particular, church growth. And when, how do you know when a church is really growing? What are some of the things that, that make you say, now there is a church that's growing? Is it, um, you know, a new building? You know, church building a new building. Hey, they must be growing, right? Uh, or maybe, um, you know, they've gone to multiple services and they've got all kinds of, you know, options for when you can show up. Uh, you know, is it just more people showing up? I mean, something's got to be growing, right? If more people are showing up all the time, or if there's a lot more programs, you know, that on the week that they that they used to offer. Um, th- these are these are at least what I tend to see as wow, things must really be happening over there. That must be a growing church. Um, but are things growing simply because they're getting bigger? If something's getting bigger, is it necessarily growing in the kingdom sense, right? In the sense of what the mission of the church is. Is, is, is bigger better, I guess is another way to put it. Um, and does kingdom growth uh, represent the same thing? Because all of those things, I think we kind of borrow maybe from uh, our, our, our culture around us. Um, you know, if you have a business, as many of us in here are independent business owners or self-employed, and And those are all really good things that indicate things are going well, right? If you're hiring people, you know, you're gathering more people, you have more customers, that's growth. Uh, If you're 
you know, moving your office somewhere or even building a building, well, business must be good. Things must be growing. And so I think the tendency is to take that kind of a template and look at the church through that same lens of, well, gosh, they've got more people. They've got more customers. They've got more things that they're offering. They've got a bigger building. Things must be growing. And in a sense, that's right. I mean, that is an aspect of growth, isn't it? I mean, more people show up, that's growth. But is it kingdom growth? And is it how we're called to grow? And is it the only measure of growth? I don't think any of that's necessarily bad, but is it the way that we're supposed to grow? Um, Does kingdom growth look like corporate growth? Or is there maybe something about it that's distinctive uh, or additional to, maybe, would be another way to look at it. Um, I'm going to look at Isaiah chapter 5. This is part of the familiar part. We're going to look at a, uh, a story in Scripture. Or not a story, it's, it's actually called a song. And it's at the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 5, and it's called the, the Song of the Vineyard. And uh, it, it, it goes something like, and I'll back up. Uh, we're going to focus on a couple of verses at the, at the end of it, but I'm going to back up. This is the familiar part that I've talked about before, but since I'm assuming, again, that everybody's memory is as bad as mine, we'll repeat some of this. Uh, Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my, for my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me? uh, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness But behold, a cry of distress. And now I get to the the part that we're going to focus on a little bit more. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room, so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. In my ears, the Lord of hosts has sworn, surely many houses shall become desolate, even great and fine ones without occupants. For ten acres of vineyard will yield only one bath of wine, and a homer of seed will yield but an ephah of grain. So here we have this, infrequently in Scripture, this idea of a vineyard, or and if you think about any of Jesus' stories, there's a lot more stories uh, comparing the kingdom of God to agricultural analogies than there are to business analogies. And it's not because business didn't exist in those days. It did. There was trade between, you know, all different nations. I mean, it was fairly sophisticated. So business existed. But the analogies that Jesus uses over and over, and the analogy that we're looking at here from Isaiah, are very consistently more agricultural analogies. 
vineyards, fields of ripe wheat, uh, sowing seeds. Uh, these are the kind of images that Jesus gives us over and over again. So I'm wondering if maybe there's not an agricultural model of growth that we could look at that might be more applicable to church growth than a corporate model of growing. And that there might be something for us that when we think about the, this vineyard or we'll look at a couple other passages where we get a little bit better understanding of what it means to be growing kingdom-wise, to be growing in the manner that, that Jesus expects to see growth. I think it's pretty clear from this that, they expect, that, that God expects us to grow, right? Uh, he said, I expected good grapes, but I got only worthless ones. There is an expectation. God has an expectation of us that we will grow. And so the obvious question is, how do we know? <laughs> how do we know if we're growing? Uh, you know, do we, you know, mark off like we do for kids, you know, a little line on the door jam, you know, yep, you're growing, looky there. That's uh, easy to do. Uh, but how do we really know if we're growing in the way that God expects us uh, to grow? And there's a couple other passages where we, we hear about this. But the idea, I think, is if you, if you heard it here, was God expecting the plants to become more and more plants? No, what he was expecting was fruit, right? In fact, he even says, Woe to those who add house to house and field to field. So here's bigger, right? He's addressing bigger very specifically. You know, woe to you who just add field to field to field to field. So you got all kinds of fields. And woe to you just add building on top of building on top of building. He's saying bigger is not better. Bigger is not better. And he, he says that, that you've got all these fields, but in the, you know, the, the funny uh, measurements that he gives, you know, but 10 acres of a vineyard will yield only one bath of wine. That's about six gallons from what I've read. Uh, so you think of 10 acres of vineyard only producing six gallons of wine. That's not very much. Uh, so there was some fruit, but there was not what you would expect. Certainly not enough to have a viable operation as a, a viticulturalist. How's that for a SAT word? Uh, and then he says that a, a, a homer of wine will yield only an ephah of grain. Well, a homer of wine is about six bushels. So what he's saying here is six bushels of seed will produce only half a bushel of grain. So you're not getting much on your investment at that point. Uh, you're going broke if you're a farmer. <laughs> you're you're going you're gonna to lose the farm if you use six bushels of seed to get half a bushel of product in the end. You will go broke. And, and so it seems like the measure maybe instead of just growth is fruit. Right? If you're a farmer, put yourself in a farmer's shoes for a minute. Uh, you know, I worked on a, on a peach orchard for a while in college. And... You know, from time to time, you know, we would plant more peach trees, but there was an expectation with these peach trees, and it wasn't just that each year they'd put out new shoots and, and green leaves. <laughs> the expectation from the peach trees was peaches. <laughs> What's the point of having peach trees if they don't produce peaches? That's the whole point, and I think that's kind of what we see in this passage here, this song of the vineyard. What's the point of having a vineyard if there's no grapes? or if the grapes that it produces are worthless grapes 
then you have a worthless vineyard. It doesn't matter how big it is. <laughs> you could have the biggest vineyard in the world. And if it produces worthless grapes, you have a worthless vineyard because the whole point is the fruit, the production of fruit. And we hear this in other passages in Scripture. This isn't the only place we find this. And so you may already have some of these circling around. I'm just going to look at a couple uh, that you've almost certainly heard before. Uh, Matthew 13 and uh, John 15. I'm going to look at the John passage first, and then we'll go back to Matthew. Very, very familiar passage if you've spent any amount of time <laughs> in church at all. This is, this is Jesus talking about, uh, well, I'll just read it. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize it. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. All right, think about the passage we just read in Isaiah. Don't lose that. Keep that in the back of your mind. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Are we seeing a pattern here? I think so, maybe. Uh, are, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And you know, if any of you have done much gardening or, or anything like that, you, you're familiar with the idea of grafting, right? Where you have a rootstock from, uh, of, of one strain of your, your plant species that you're messing with, and you have a vine stock of another. This is commonplace in growing grapes, at least in our country, because of diseases that, that attack the plants. So they have to do this. And they'll take the branches from one uh, uh, vine or from, you know, from one plant, and they'll graft it onto the rootstock of another and so that they get the good qualities of this real hardy rootstock and the fruit-producing qualities of this other branch. This grafting it in. And that's what Jesus is talking about. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. This is that idea of being grafted in. If you cut off the branch from the vine, it dies. And so it has to stay on the vine to bear fruit. He's saying, that's just like you and me. You have to abide in me, Jesus says, if you expect to bear fruit. If you don't, in fact... When you read the Greek right here, this is about as strong a language as you can possibly muster up in, in Greek. This, the, the, the verb tenses here are used only a couple other places by Jesus. What he's saying is, make this your top priority. If you don't get anything else I say while you're hanging out with me, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. This is important. Abide in me. If you want to bear fruit, bottom line. And so then he goes on. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus, I mean, he kind of repeats himself over and over and over in this passage. And I think he's trying to really emphasize the point. You want to prove that you're of me. You want to prove that you're one of my disciples. Then bear fruit. 
And oh, by the way, you can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. But this is the evidence that you are following me, that you are one of mine, is that you will bear fruit. Now, this begs a question, right? <laughs> What's he talking about? <laughs> What's this fruit that he's talking about? Uh, what does he mean? Uh, if we're to bear fruit, Jesus never says, and this is the fruit. He never lines that out for us. He kind of just leaves this one a little bit vague. So, but it's, I mean, it's the question we have to ask. If we're expected to bear fruit, well, how do we know if we're bearing fruit and not just sticking out green leaves, right? What's the difference? Because a plant does both. It puts out green leaves, it puts out fruit. There's a difference between them. And so Jesus says the fruit production is the key. So how do we know? Uh, you know, there's a... Uh, there's a couple of passages in Scripture that are, that are probably really... Um, that you may even have one of these circling around your head, right? But there's a really famous passage from uh, Paul's writings in Galatians where he says, the fruit of the Spirit is... You know, and so I, I like, you know, equations and so forth. Anytime you see is, you, know, you put the little equals sign, right? The fruit of the Spirit is, is equivalent to... This is nice. Here's where we get a definition, right? That's, you know, what you tell the kids in school. Anytime it says is, here's now a definition. You can memorize this. And we like those things. We can hang on to them. So he goes through the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, perseverance, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit produces in you when he's working in you. Out of this Galatians chapter 5 where he goes through this. And... This is the work of the Spirit. Now, but, but this is personal, right? Paul's saying this is what happens in you. When the Spirit works in you, there is love, joy, peace, patience, on and on. This is what comes out of you. Now, in our, when we looked at this first passage in Isaiah, it didn't seem to be a, a personal culpability so much as a corporate culpability, right? You know, the Lord said... I, you know, I'm dealing with everybody. This is the nation of Israel in that analogy. And I looked for justice, but I found only bloodshed. And I looked for righteousness, and I heard only cries of distress. So there's this, this corporate aspect to fruit as well. And that's really what I want us to think about a little bit more today. We know what fruit should be in our lives personally, right? Galatians 5 is a great key for that. Uh, if that is growing in us, then we can feel like, okay, the fruit of the Spirit is starting to come out of me. Kind of a weird picture, but anyway. Uh, so, but, but corporately, how do we know if we, as River City Vineyard, are producing fruit? How do we know if we are producing fruit? Because we can do a lot of things that look like church growth that don't necessarily have anything to do with producing fruit, Right? If we offered lots of programs here during the week for people, I mean, good programs, you know, Celebrate Recovery and, and uh, you know, kids programs and, and after-school tutoring, those are all great things, right? But is it necessarily fruit? I mean, could you do those things without producing fruit? Sure you can. Sure you can, yeah. Can we go build a building and not produce any fruit? Yeah, you don't have to produce fruit to go build a building. You just have to raise some money. <laughs> you can go build a building. That's not evidence of fruit, is it? And, and 
could we gather a bigger crowd in here without producing any fruit? Sure. Sure we could. There's all kinds of sketchy churches out there that have figured out ways to gather crowds that if you and, you and I look at some of this stuff on TV and we go, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> they figured out how to draw a big crowd, but are they producing any fruit? I mean, maybe, maybe not. But you certainly don't have to be producing fruit to draw a bigger crowd. So maybe more people are not the answer to are we growing as a church. Maybe more programs aren't. Uh, you know, more, uh, a bigger building, you know, all these things. You can do a lot of these things that look like growth without producing any fruit in the meantime, is what I'm trying to make the point of. Now, I will say, I think at some point, you know, if you are growing, producing fruit, more people are going to show up. (laughs) At some point, you might need a new building, and at some point, you're going to have lots of things going on. Those can all be there. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying you can do those things without producing any fruit. And the whole point to our existence here, the reason we're left here after we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you, the reason he doesn't yank us out of the pool immediately is so that we would produce fruit here, here. Because there's other people here that aren't aware of what the kingdom of God feels like. They have not experienced that. And we are to produce fruit of the kingdom of God. And in this passage in Isaiah, he said, I looked for righteousness and justice. Those are the two things in that passage in in Isaiah 5 that that the Lord said, this is what I want to see. I want to see righteousness and justice. Well, those are kind of, we can read those words and read them and just keep right on going without stopping to think. But in the Old Testament, if you really stop for a minute, these are loaded terms. These terms come with all kinds of meaning and significance, and you see them pop up all over the place in the Old Testament, in the prophets, and the Psalms, even all the way back in, in the, the, the Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. These are loaded terms. And I think, in my mind, the passage that best illustrates what God's talking about here with this, these ideas of righteousness and justice comes from Job chapter 29. And in Job 29, I mean, when you, you remember the story of Job, right? And, and, you know, he's afflicted with all kinds of things that, that have gone, you know, that the Lord allowed Satan to test him with. And he's got friends that wind up not being a whole lot of help at all. And, and he's in the midst of all this. And in, in chapter 29, we're getting towards the end of Job's saga and he's kind of lamenting here. He's, it starts out, oh, that in my former days, oh, when I was a younger man. And he goes through this, this, how he was esteemed in the community, and he had the respect of the old men and the admiration of the young men. And he was really a, a, a significant guy around town. And people stood up and listened when, when Job started talking. They really held him in high regard. And now he's saying, look at me now. But in the middle of this, you know, uh, you know I'll, this is, I'm going to start down about verse 10 or 11 here. But uh, the voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongues stuck to their palate. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it gave witness of me. Because, because, <laughs> because Job is now going to tell us why he was held in such high regard around town. I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. 
My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know. I, snatched, I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth, and, and on and on. Well, this, I think, possibly, in my mind, best illustrates these, these twin ideas of righteousness and justice. These are the hallmarks of the kingdom of God. Right? What's, what's Job doing here? In, in, in vineyard vernacular, we would say he's setting things right. right. He's taking up the cause of the people who can't take up their own cause. And he is going after wickedness when he sees it. And he's going after injustice when he sees it. Why? Because it's not right. That's not what God wants. That's not the way God intended things to be. And so I'm going to represent God's kingdom, and I'm going to take these things on. I'm going to take on this righteousness and justice, and I'm going to wear it like a turban and a robe, and I'm just going to be clothed in righteousness and justice. It's the idea of setting things right. And this is the great hope of Scripture, right? That when Jesus came, God has started to set things right, right? We can now be set right with God, and things get set right in our lives. And eventually, when Jesus comes back, he's going to set it right for all time. Boom. Everything gets set back in order. Everything gets set right. But in the meantime, we get to participate. We get to play. We get to be a part of representing the kingdom of God. We get to be a part of God setting things right here. Because for whatever reason... God is elected to work through us, not because of us, you know, we're, you know, not because we're such great people, but he's elected to work through us to represent his kingdom to our friends, our neighbors, our family, the nations. I mean, that's why Scott's in England right now. I mean, Scott would have preferred to not go to England by himself this time. He made that pretty clear last week. <laughs> You know, this was not a trip that he was looking forward to as much as maybe something else. But he was compelled to go because he gets to represent the kingdom and help the process of setting things right in a really unique setting. I mean, he's working with, he said there's, a, there's somebody there this time from the South Sudan. Could you imagine if righteousness and justice showed up in the South Sudan? Whoa, that'd be God. That'd be God. Well, Scott gets to play. <laughs> God's working through Scott with this individual from the South Sudan, and who knows what will happen. But he gets to play. And it's not just Scott. We all get to play. That's the whole idea. That's why there's this expectation of producing fruit. You know, if you're producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your own life, is it reasonable to expect that when a bunch of people that have that happening in their hearts individually gather together, that righteousness and justice might be the result of that gathering to more people than just the ones that are showing up here? I think that's reasonable. I think that's a very reasonable expectation. And you know, the, in, in Matthew 13, he talks about Sowing seeds, right? The parable of the sower. Another very, very familiar passage of Scripture and, you know, the different kinds of soil. And, but you remember the last kind when it falls on fertile ground? What's going to happen? It produces a crop. You know, some, 
30, some 60, some 100 fold. It produces a crop. There is fruit from the good soil when the seed lands in good soil. And that fruit, again, is us representing the kingdom of God. God working through us with whatever we have to offer, which isn't much, right? Let's face it. We don't have a whole lot to offer. But God says, it's all I need, right? The widow's might. Just give me what you got. I'll take care of the rest. That's God. We just bring whatever little we've got. Say, God, this is it, but I'm willing. You just tell me and I'll, 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 I'll play along. And you just tell me what, what you want me to do. And God says, that's all I need. And all of a sudden, things start happening that we never expected to happen, that couldn't have happened just because of us. And it's God working through us in his wisdom to help spread the fruit, right? Because that's real growth, right? Because you can grow a plant, but unless that plant produces fruit, it's not reproducing itself, is it? Right? Eventually, that plant's going to die. And unless that plant has produced fruit, that's the end. That's the end. There are no more. That can happen to a church. Unless we produce fruit, we're the end of it. I mean, churches close up door, their doors all the time in this country. All the time. And there's a lot of churches that close their doors that never produced any fruit in their communities. And nobody notices when that happens. <laughs> and there may have been some really good stuff happening there on Sunday. I think that you know, most churches are filled with people who love Jesus. I have, no, I have no problem with that. But if there's no fruit, then that's the end of it. And the expectation that God has of his vineyard is that we would produce fruit. That we would produce fruit. And so, you know, the parable of the sower, we're going to talk about that and we'll kind of wind up the time. I'll tell you how there's a lab to this. Uh, lecture, by the way, did you? You may not have realized that when you showed up, but there is a lab for the lecture. It's next week. It's not this week, but we're going to do a lab. Um, sorry, has science background. Like it just comes natural. So, um, but when Jesus gave us this parable of the sower, you know, he talks about you know some seed fell on rocky ground and some seed fell on you know on on shallow soil and some seed got mixed in with thorns and weeds and then some fell on good soil and it struck me one time as I was reading through that passage like the sower didn't really seem to care did he <laughs> it's like he had all kinds of, he had a whole bunch of seed and he absolutely didn't care where it went he was just you know throwing seed woo here we go i don't you know there was no real methodology to sowing <laughs> It was just, let's go scatter some seed and see what happens, um, which is, which is kind of interesting, right? So if, if you know, we, we like to talk about, you know, strategies for, you know, missions, and, and we, get, we have workshops and whole conferences on mission strategies, and, and none of that's bad, right? I mean, that's okay to be, we want to be intentional about what we do. But I think at some point, we just got to go scatter some seed, right? And who cares? Let's go scatter some seed and see what happens. Let's just see. Who knows? Maybe God will be in the middle of it somewhere. But the parable of the sower tells me we, we've got an unlimited supply of seed. We don't need to be stingy with our seed. 
you know, this is not, you know, like potato farmers. They really, you know, guard that, that seed potato crop. You know, we've got to save that because that's what we plant for next year. It's more like wheat farming or something. You know, we got all kinds of seed. We're not going to worry about how much seed we've got. We're just going to scatter it to the wind and then trust that, that God's going to do something with some of this. And, and guess what? The results are whose responsibility in this agricultural phenomena? Are the results the responsibility of the sower? Not in that parable. <laughs> Not in that parable. The results, there's no condemnation to the sower of, well, why did you throw some of that seed in rocky soil? Why did you scatter that seed in, in with the weeds? No, none of that. None of that. The results don't seem to be anything on the responsibility of the sower. The results seem to be solely with God and what he's doing in the lives of other people that we just don't see. We don't get to see what's going on in the background usually. And God says, you just trust me. You go throw some seed out there. Trust me with the rest of it. Don't get too wrapped up in the results of this. And, you know, if you're a farmer and you, you, you plant things, um, you know, what's your, what's your time frame of, of expecting to see some results of this? And it's not next week, is it? If you go plant something and you're, you're expecting it to produce fruit, expect, you know, think about, you know, the peach trees. You know, when we plant new peach trees on the peach orchard, uh, you know, if two years from now that tree was starting to produce fruit, that's good. That's good. We're not expecting fruit next week. We're not even expecting fruit this year. A couple of years from now is fine. And in the meantime, we're doing a whole lot of things to help it produce fruit but we don't expect it right now. And, and so maybe in, we could take a long-range view to church growth and fruit production and, and not get real wrapped up in, well, I don't see anything happening this week, and think, you know, we're going to scatter some seed and we're going to trust the Lord and we'll just see what happens. I have no idea what will happen. But we'll just take, we're going to take a long-range view of this and not get real wrapped up in... If nothing's happening. So here's, here's the lab part. And we talked, I br- mentioned this briefly last week. We've got, you know, a pretty well-defined neighborhood around us. And it's an interesting neighborhood. Uh, we've got, you know, houses over here that are a combination of owned and rented properties. And we've got a apartment complex over here that is different from the apartment complex over here. And we've got Laurel Plaza, the subsidized housing over there. We've got another apartment complex over here on the other side of the bank, kind of behind that little uh, uh, laundromat. Um, really interesting little neighborhood that we're in. And, and it's kind of even, the streets over here are mostly kind of laid out, you know, like you might plow a field. I don't know if you use your imagination. So I thought, what would happen if we just scattered some seed in the neighborhood? Let's go get to know our neighbors. And so I talked it over with Scott. Scott thought it was a great idea. So what we're going to do, and, and you need to understand, that, <laughs> I was, Cindy asked me this morning, well, have you ever done anything like that before? No, no, I, this, is, this is new to me too. And it, it frankly sounds a little intimidating to me as well, but we're just going to, we're going to try it and see what happens. Um, we're going to start out next week by just prayer walking around the neighborhood, and not in one big clump, right? I mean, we don't, we don't want to look like we're marching down the streets or anything. Uh, we'll, we'll split up, 
but, uh, but we'll just pray. And prayer walking, if you're not familiar with that concept, it's, it's pretty low impact, right? Anybody can do this. This is, this is a very low threshold. All we're going to do is we're going to walk, and then we'll just pray. And as we walk by houses, hey, Lord, just pray for the people in this house. Or as we walk by businesses, Lord, pray for the folks that, that run and work at this business. And, and Lord, I just want to pray that your kingdom would come over this apartment complex or whatever. We're just going to walk around and prayer walk over the neighborhood in little clusters here and there, you know, and, uh, and just pray for the neighborhood. And that will kind of, and, and frequently, uh, in, I'm sure Chuck and Mary Nell can speak to this much better than I, missionaries have found this to be really significant in, in somehow God uses that activity of prayer walking to really open doors. Uh, I've seen it happen, not personally, but indirectly, whole countries have been opened up to the gospel by people simply prayer walking around the borders of a country. Honestly, it is, it, I don't, you know, there's no magic formula to any of this, but for whatever reason, God really seems to honor that when his people walk and pray around something, Jericho, a country, you know, a neighborhood. God works through that. And so that's what we're going to do to kind of set the stage. And then the following Sunday, and Scott will be back with us the following Sunday. And has some great coaching for us on this. But the following Sunday, we're actually going to go knock on some doors. Hi, we're from River City Vineyard. We're right over there. Just want to know if we could pray about anything with you. Anything you need prayer for. We're not selling anything. We're not handing out tracts or brochures. We just want to pray and give God, the opportunity to work through our prayers and have the kingdom show up in somebody's life that hasn't experienced God in that way. You know, experiencing God, it's one of our values. We talked about it. Well, that's not just for us. Because <laughs> at some point, you didn't know God, right? And then you experienced God. And you went, whoa, <laughs> wow, I, I think I want more of that. And so maybe God would use our prayers to show up and impact other folks lives with the kingdom so that's what we're going to do for the next couple of sundays i have no idea where it goes beyond that (laughs) that's as far as i've gone with this lab uh but my hope is that as we do that maybe some of you would go i know what's next and we could continue to sow seeds in our neighborhood right here and you know what would happen if the kingdom just showed up in our neighborhood and started setting things right in, in people's lives that, that live right here in our neighborhood. What would happen? What would the impact of that be? I don't really know, but I think it'd be good. <laughs> and I'm, I think it's worth trying anyway. I think it's worth trying. And so we're just going to try it out, see what happens, see what God does through that. So, and again, you know, that, that sounds a little intimidating and scary to me. So don't think that this is something that, you know, I've got loads of experience with. I, you know, this is, this is, you know, rough draft for me too. So we'll just play it by ear and see how it goes. But I think that it's okay. I think we've got enough support in scripture to say, this is good. We can go do this. And, uh, and, and I think we can expect to see God show up and work through that. So I'll be here again next week. And, and again, after, immediately after the service next week, um, and there will be some organization to this, but we'll split up into some smaller groups and we'll take some pockets of the neighborhood 
and we're just going to go prayer walk next week. So no knocking on doors next week, okay? So we'll ease into this. Uh, we'll, just go, we'll just go do some praying together as a group. All right, let's pray. Jesus, and I thank you that, that, that you showed up in my life. And I think we could all give you thanks for the way that you've shown up in our lives. I mean, that's why we're here, right? I mean, you've, you've done something in our lives. And, and we just want to honor you with our lives. And, and this is part of that, you know, worshiping together and encouraging each other and fellowshipping together. That's important. But you also have really clearly stated that, that you expect that we will bear fruit. And, you know, you kind of left it up to us to figure out how that is supposed to happen. And so we want to do that with you. We don't want to run off without you. But uh, help us as a group to bear fruit. Help us as individuals to see the fruit of the Spirit show up more and more and more in our hearts. And then help us as a, as a community, help us as River City Vineyard become known for the fruit that is produced here. Because we want to be known as people of your kingdom. So help us produce fruit, Jesus. And, you know, if we're, we're on, off on the wrong track, then, you know, nudge us in the right direction. But we really want to produce fruit for your kingdom. So thank you for uh, promising that this is something that you're real interested in, too. And I'm, I look forward to seeing what you do through it. Thank you for our time together this morning, Jesus, to worship you. And uh, help, us to, uh, help us to produce fruit this week. In Jesus' name, amen.